I have a very simple message for you today to mark the beginning of this Advent season. The word Advent means coming. It means coming. It, it speaks to the celebration of the coming of our Lord. That's what Advent is all about. So today I'm going to continue on the theme of hope. And I'm going to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, expecting once again in our hearts his coming and the hope of his coming, what that means. You know, arguably the three greatest symbols that the world has ever known, and arguably again, uh, quite possibly the hardest for us to believe in, all find their focal point in one place, in the life of Christ. And all of them point to the coming of Jesus Christ. The manger announced his coming. The cross reminds us of the reason why he came and it proclaims his atoning work for sin and the redemption of sin for all of humanity. The tomb declares the resurrection and the ascension to the Father provides assurance that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Advent is a reminder of the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to take you back to the Old Testament scripture. Now, I'm not going to have a bunch of PowerPoint slides for you today, but I am going to put some scriptures up there, and then we're going to be turning to some scriptures. Because quite honestly, what happened with me today, I went to bed last night thinking, man, okay, I got it down, God, I got the scripture nailed down, I know what I'm going to talk about, hope. And I went to bed, and I slept real well, and got up this morning at 4 o'clock, and I was in my prayer time with the Holy Spirit, and God changed everything. I mean everything. And so along with you, I didn't have a chance to put all the scriptures on the PowerPoint slides, so we're going to be turning to some of these scriptures. And it's good for us anyway to turn to the, to the scriptures, isn't it? Y'all praying for me? I still got this thing in my throat, man. Stretch your hand towards the pastor and say, loose him! Y'all not all, y'all didn't say it. No, listen, man, I don't want anything to hinder the word of the Lord this morning. The hope of his coming was long prophesied, long before Jesus came. Listen to what the psalmist wrote several hundred years ago before Christ came. Psalms 130, beginning at verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. I'm reading out of the ESV, so it might sound a little different than yours or read a little different. If you, O oh Lord, mark, should mark my iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Everybody say hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord for the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Once again, the scripture prophesied the coming of Messiah long before he came. And the people of God waited in great anticipation for the coming of Jesus Christ for many years. You fast forward to the New Testament and now the manger announces 
his arrival. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. Talking about hope today. I hear pages turning, so I'll just pause for a minute. Here's what Luke writes. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And in the manger we see God incarnate, God in human form, form born in a stable that was built for animals, laying in a manger. You know, and this is not, we've had this nativity scene with all the bright lights and it's all clean and Mary's in all these wonderful clothes and we've got the three wise men kneeling. It wasn't like that, man. This was a, this was a, a this was a, a, an old, a New Testament manger, an animal, a place where they kept animals. And they laid Jesus in a feeding trough no doubt filled with bacteria and disease. But yet his arrival, the arrival of the king of kings, signaled the kingdom of God had now invaded the kingdom of man, and with him comes hope for all of humanity. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And unlike any king of his day or any celebrity of our day, his arrival came and went without much fanfare, save for the angels and a selective audience of shepherds. There was no pomp and circumstance. There was no television cameras, no documentary, no paparazzi, no ticker tape parade, none of those things. And here's why. Because the coming of Christ wasn't about him. He didn't draw attention to himself. Instead, he came to draw us to himself. He came at a critical time. See, at the birth of Christ, the world was in chaos. God's chosen people were heavily oppressed under Roman rule. They were helpless to do anything about it, and their helplessness had led to a point of hopelessness. When Jesus began his ministry, not much had changed. Things didn't look much different. The world was still in chaos, and it was still filled with suffering and pain and hopelessness. But here's the difference. Here's the key with our Savior. Instead of avoiding the pain, Jesus steps right into the pain and joins us in the middle of our pain and our suffering. So he brings a different message. He preached about a different kingdom with different principles, 
with a rule that was entirely different. He came as a king that instead of looking to be served, became a servant to all. That's why Isaiah described him as the suffering servant. The suffering servant. Turn with me to Isaiah 53, verse 3 and 4. Let's take a look at that. Are you there? <laughs> the suffering servant. Listen to what Isaiah says. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. So Jesus, the King of kings, the, the creator of all things, God incarnate, steps right into the madness and the suffering of his people, and he offers them something that they couldn't find anywhere else. He offers them hope. And the Apostle Paul tells us that as followers of Christ, this should be the same attitude that we must have if we're going to minister effectively in the world that we live in. Let's take a look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. Paul writes this. She says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. We're to have the mind of Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're to have the mind of Christ. And the only way that we can have the mind of Christ is if we get to know him intimately. And one of the best ways that we get to know him intimately is through this, his word. Hmm. Have the mind of Christ among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Hope. Hope. You see, the message of Advent at its core is not about the topics of love or joy or peace or even hope. The message of Advent at its core is about two things. It's about the coming of Jesus Christ to us and the presence of Jesus Christ 
in us in this world. Emmanuel, God with us, revealed in us. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our love. He is our hope. He is the reason for the season. And listen to me, as followers of Jesus Christ, so are we. We are the hope of this world. So why is hope, is, why is hope important? Hope is important because hope determines our choices, and our choices determine how we live our lives. I'm sure that you know that there's no shortage of hopelessness around you. There's no shortage of hopelessness in this world that we live in, is there? I think it was two days ago, my phone lit up, and, and I saw that there was, there was a family, I guess, in Fairbanks, four people in a hotel room, and when the police got there, there was someone sitting outside, sobbing, because someone in the hotel room, I think it was a man and a woman and a child, or three adults and a child, all dead from gunshot wounds. What brings a person to a point of hopelessness to do that? Yet hopelessness is all around us. This morning I walked into the sanctuary and I've, I met a guy that I've known from Change Point for quite some time. And he was here ministering at the Cowboy Church this morning. And he reminded me that back in 1991 in Glen Allen, his 11-year-old daughter was abducted, abducted, raped, and murdered. And there are so many stories of this kind of hopelessness around us. I'd venture to say that some of you sitting in this room have experienced hopelessness in your life at one point or another. I know I have. There's no shortage of hopelessness in this world. And so if we're just to take a snapshot of the world around us, celebrating Advent seems like it could be hypocritical. How can we say that we have hope in the midst of the realities of this life? How can we claim to have hope when we're engulfed in a world that's gripped with fear, sadness, and pain, and hopelessness? According to the recent statistics from the CDC, did you know that 10% of Americans are depressed? 10% of Americans have feelings of hopelessness and despondency and guilt. And 3% of the 10% experience major and severe long-term depression. And that's just in the United States, family. And we have it good. Raise your hand if you enjoyed a good Thanksgiving dinner. Keep your hand up if you were in a nice warm house. Keep your hand up if you had good family and friends around you. You can lower your hands. We've got it good. And if 10% of statistics say that 10% of Americans are depressed, imagine the hopelessness that's pervasive in the world that we live in. There are people in this world, even in this city, that at this time of the year, 
hopelessness is their reality. They find themselves in a state of hopelessness. So how can we have hope and minister hope in and to the world around us? Here's the reason. Because our hope is not circumstantial. Our hope is not temporary. The hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is eternal. See, there's a, there's a big difference between biblical hope and the hope of the world. Worldly hope is relegated to a wish or a feeling or circumstance. I hope it doesn't snow today, which I really do hope it doesn't snow today, by the way. I hope the temperature outside gets warmer. Yeah. I hope that things in my life change. The reality of worldly hope is that, watch this now, at the end of the day, when this life is over, this is as good as it gets. That's the reality. Biblical hope is so much more than that. Biblical hope is the confidence and the expectation and the belief that if God promised us something, that it is going to happen. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews tells us that we know that it's going to happen because it's impossible for God to lie. And in this truth is the hope that is sure and is an anchor of our souls. Biblical hope is eternal. I love what the Apostle Paul says about it in Titus chapter 1, verse 2. He says, we have in hope, we have hope in eternal life, which God who never lies has promised us before time even began. So here's what that means. We have hope of something greater than what this world has to offer us. And Advent is a reminder of our eternal hope that one day Jesus Messiah, we, we sung about him today, one day Emmanuel is coming back. And watch this. The presence of God, the presence of Christ in us in this world proves the certainty of that promise is yet to come. So you say, how do you know that, Pastor. Turn with me to John 14, John chapter 14, verse 1. Let's take a look at it. How do we know that the promises of Christ provide hope through us in this world and his promises to us are certain? John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Are you there? Look what Jesus tells us. The presence of Christ in us in this world proves the certainty of the promise of his coming. Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, our eternal hope for followers of Jesus Christ is grounded in the truth that one day Jesus Christ is coming back again. 
But this time, he's not coming as a baby in a manger family. He is coming as a conquering king, our triumphant conquering king. So what does this mean for us today? As followers of Christ, when we truly hope in the promises of God, we will live our lives with a sense of expectancy. And so just as the children of Israel waited with the great expectation of the Messiah coming to earth, so are we to wait in great expectation of his second coming. But we're not to wait idly by. We're not to sit by and do nothing. Until that day, God has commissioned us to extend the hope that we found in our relationship with Jesus Christ to the world around us. Paul tells us in Colossians that we are the hope of the glory of God. Colossians 1, beginning at verse 26, and Mitch, you can come to the piano if you will. Paul tells us that the mystery for the ages and generations the, the, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ in you, Liz. Christ in you, Steve. George. Christ in you, Teresa, Octavia, Mike, Tom, Emily. Christ in you, Zach, the hope of glory. We, family, as followers of Jesus Christ, are the hope of the glory of God in this world. And the world needs to see Christ in us. The world needs to experience the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So here's my challenge to you today. During our celebration of Advent and leading up to Christmas, let's not get caught up with the hustle and bustle of commercialized Christmas and forget the true reason of the season. Here's the reason. The coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He came into the world so that he could go to the cross to give his life for a ransom for sin for all, once and for all. He died a sinner's death, but then he rose again on the third day with all power and authority in his hand. And listen, Advent is a reminder to us that one day he is coming back again to gather us up as his own, and we will rule and we will reign with him forever and ever, and this is the celebration of Advent. Will you pray with me?